On September 12, 1995, McKay Everett disappeared from his home in Conroe, Texas. There was no sign of forced entry. It was just as if McKay had walked out of his own free will. And to this day, McKay's mother, Paulette, feels that justice was never truly served. Ransom is available now. Listen at ransompodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The following program contains distressing content and graphic details regarding suicide. This may be triggering for survivors of suicide loss and those with lived experience. Please proceed with caution. Dear Mr. Gillespie, this is Travis. You came and spoke with me while I was in Central Mississippi Correctional Facility. I put a lot of thought into what we talked about. I would be more than happy to help you with this case. I'm currently incarcerated at Lauderdale County Jail. I completed my charge I was in prison on when you spoke with me. I had a detainer for two charges I honestly didn't do. But that's not what I wrote you about. My bond is $5,000 for each charge. I spoke with a bail bonding company and they told me 300 to 500 could get me out. I know you're probably thinking, what is this guy asking me to bond him out for? But I seriously could do you some good in this case. Seriously, Mr. Gillespie. I want justice for Christian and I can help get it. Thank you for your time. I hope we can get together soon. Sincerely, Travis. events took place between May and August of 2019, starting shortly after our private investigator's first trip to Meridian had concluded. The Meridian trip, just like the Key West trip, were only pieces of their investigation, very important pieces at that, but there was still a lot more work to do. Their next step would be to track down Matt Miller, who moved to Connecticut years ago to start a new life and pursue a career out there, a move that I don't think anyone can knock him for given the circumstances. This obviously meant that our PIs would need to plan a trip just to track him down. So the plan was set up that Sheila and Mike would fly to Connecticut to try and speak with Matt. Hey, Matt. Yeah. Man, Sheila. It's cold up here. Really. I talked to you on the Facebook. This is Mike. Man, how are you? Oh, what kind of dog? Like, since I've moved here, like, my mind is open. You're clear. Like, I've oh. never been so, like, on top of things in my life. And your name came our way from the Meridian case. Really? Oh, yeah. Do you know which case? Yeah, I know. So we've talked to Whitley. Uh Uh-huh. So I want to talk to you about that. And we've talked to actually almost everybody but you. Oh, yeah. You're my last one. Cool. Honestly, the only reason I was there was to help. Right. You know, like I gave them them everything on my phone. I even said some things that... Like, I probably shouldn't have said, but I just told him how it is, you know? I just That's the way it should be. So she calls you, according to her, the 25th. So I'll give you dates because he died on the 26th. So out of the blue, she calls you. You guys haven't been dating? I was at work, and she just hits me up one day, you know? And she's like, hey, you want to hang out this weekend or tomorrow? I, don't, I forgot what day it was. And she's like, I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. So you guys go out and it's you jet whitley it was me jet whitley and my buddy zach that was jet's friend. zach tab yeah well okay whitley pretty much is what i'm really interested in so the four of you you jet whitley and zach was there a fifth person no when she was sitting on my lap 
and she didn't shoot the gun because she said she was scared. So I covered her ears and I didn't shoot the gun because she wouldn't shoot the gun. Christian's name, did it ever Never come, come up? up? Never come up. Never came up. So Whitley said that she had the gunpowder residue on her hands. Did she get tested? Yeah, yes. she had it all over. It was confirmed. <laughs> See, it was I, the next day. Nobody ever told me that, though. Like, let, I have let's the, be you know, real. I have the but I know. I wanna, let's be real. Let's be real. I did not know that. And that really just blew. Like, I just got chill bumps. So she said the gunpowder residue was from... Shooting that, the night. And she never did. And that's that's what really just blew my mind is because she didn't. She called you six times from Christian's phone. I think it was before he, he was pronounced or confirmed dead. But I believe it was probably Christian trying to call me. So let me ask you about Jeff. Jet hung out at, with Hayes a lot. Weren't they best friends? Yeah, growing up. I, I don't know about later on in life. I mean, Hayes was kind of doing his own thing, and Jet was doing his own thing. As, you know, I haven't really talked to anybody like this um, since that interview on the TV. Oh, Crime Watch Daily? Yeah, and when that came out, when I saw it and everything, it's like I saw things that I'd never seen or like heard about or anything, and it's just kind of like... Like when Dylan went to the, so here's what's crazy, guys. You ready? Why would you, why would you, if Christian told Dylan to go take all the money out of his bank account, but not give him the pen, I don't know what to say about that. You know, like That's that just, bizarre. that don't really make sense. Right. Why did you leave? Uh, fresh start. I just wanted, you know, I just wanted a clean slate and just, where nobody knew who I was and I just wanted to start something different, like small art and stuff. So I just wanted to pursue my dreams, honestly. Obviously, Jets called you after they came and interviewed. Was he scared or was he- No, he he was just letting me know that- that Somebody's gonna probably come talk to you. Yeah, and I just didn't know when. I was just like, whenever they do, I'll be here. So it's just like, you know, I ain't got nothing to hide. So in the original stories we heard who went shooting, Time after time, they left Zach Tab's name out of it. And we yeah. never understood why that was. Um, I don't know. I mean, it didn't have any relevance. So. I, I think, honestly, it was just, he wasn't, he wasn't even relevant to the situation. He was just there for like, thir- like, you know, like, I just, he was but just. Did there. anybody sit down and say, okay, when we talked to authorities, we're going to say these folks were here and these folks weren't? No. Nothing thought out? No, because it was just so instant. When they came and got me, it was so unexpected. I mean, nobody nobody knew. Like, there was no, like, story process. Maybe Dylan Whitley, you know, but me and Jet had no idea what was going to go down. I know I got picked up at a tattoo shop by the Jump Out Boys. I was designing a tattoo for somebody, and they came and got me. Hopped out the van, red dots on me. Like, two detectives, they just grabbed me, threw me in the car. I had no idea what... I did. You know, like I had no idea what I was going for until I got to the station. They told me that I was a suspect for murder. First time I've heard of that. That that is the very first time we've ever heard that. At that time. They told me, like, I am being questioned and suspect for murder. That's what made me take that polygraph exam because I was like, oh, hell no. Because I will do anything I can to prove to you that I have nothing to do with this. Like, I will do anything to clear my name like that. What's interesting to us is the the six phone calls to you. So I think I left work at like one thirty or two, and I went home and I passed out for like a good four hours, and I woke up. And that's up. when she's blowing your phone up. Yeah. Do you think that's why Whitley kept calling you is to get you over to the apartment? Yeah. You know what I thought after I moved is like I feel like they were trying to set me up. As in, like, they were trying to frame me and Jet on this. I think that's what it was. I'm telling you. Like, because I didn't because know it would make sense, like, the Miller boys, you know? Like, it's just a, it was just a thing. Me and Jet, you know? I had that feeling, and I still kind of have that nerve. Dylan went to withdraw the money. Now, we, we believe that Christian's dead. When he's going to the bank and he doesn't have the pen number and can't get it out, he's making phone calls to Brett who works at a different bank, probably trying to get information on how to do it. And then he goes home, and his story is that they watch a couple movies, Dylan and Whitley and Christian, 
and he wanted, you know, hey, have all my money, but he didn't say, hey, I'm home now, can I have the pen number or anything, you know? So there's a lot of, yeah. a lot of uneven thinking. Like if somebody told me to go get all the money out of their bank account and not give me the pen number, I would, you know, kind of think twice about it. So. But unless you were a wreck, right? Yeah. You were just there. And, uh, you know, yeah. What about the police? Did they, after the polygraph, did Smarid they... and police. I don't... They're just... They wasn't doing their job like they're supposed to. Go in. Suicide. I mean, who does that? You know? I mean, who does that? That's sad. So... What are we missing in this story? I think people are asleep and they don't realize how, what a good life was taken, you know? It wasn't taken by choice, it was taken by demand and it wasn't deserved. And that's what people need to come to see is that they need to figure it out before it's too late. Do you believe Christian shot himself? No, I don't believe he shot himself. Matt had a lot to say about the case. But one thing I found very interesting was the story he shared regarding gun night, the event that pulled him into this whole thing. Interestingly, his story changed. Another conversation about gun night and another new story to try to make sense of. It seems to be a recurring theme with gun night that the more you talk to people about it, the more convoluted it gets, which is really bizarre when you think about it. Because when you look at it from an investigative standpoint, There's nothing concrete that says it has any direct link to Christian's death. Yet the details about that night continue to change, and there's this ongoing mystery surrounding it. I find that interesting. Why is it so difficult for people to get the facts straight on gun night? Why do others that were there that night need their identities protected if it had nothing to do with Christian's death? And why do people who were close to the gun night group say it's their understanding that they didn't even shoot guns that night? And then you have Matt, who has always been willing to talk, and whose story has really yet to waver about that night, as he's spoken over the years with MPD, MBI, and the Andriacchio's private investigator. The story has been, he shot the gun that night, and Whitley did not. Now, flash forward, he has this meeting with Sheila and Mike, and it changes. He maintains that Whitley did not shoot that night. That part was consistent. But now, he claims that he didn't shoot the gun that night either. And not only that, He stated that he and Whitley never even left the vehicle. That Whitley sat in his lap and he covered her ears as Jet, Zach, and the presumed mystery person or persons fired the gun. I followed up with Matt in a phone conversation weeks after this and questioned him. And he stuck with the story, stating that he was just a teenager when all this first went down. And in all the questioning, he was scared, which is totally understandable. He went on to say, that he's not sure why he would have given his original story. But he's done a lot of reflecting on that night, and he's now certain that the two of them never exited the vehicle that night. Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist June Parker on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. 
This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. This change in story was certainly not something any of us were anticipating. And so after the meeting with Matt, our PIs decided they had to track down the one last person known to be at this so-called gun night, Zach Tab. It was discovered that Zach was doing some work in Texas, which is Mark G's home state. So Mark G met up with a fellow private investigator from the area, and the two of them set out to Zach's place of work to try and meet with him there. Hey, what's up? Are you, uh, Zach? Sir, hey, Zach, I'm Mark Gillespie. Good. Yeah, we're here to talk about the, uh, I guess, the biggest talk of Viridian, Mississippi. You know he was killed, mm-hmm. obviously. Do you know how that happened? Do you know any stories about that? The obvious story everybody always see on the uh, the Facebook, whatever everybody, all the theories everybody's saying. So when did when did you first get involved as a as as a person that uh, people would begin to talk to about this case? I guess when that uh, the night before or whatever when they shot the gun. Was that something that normally you all oh, did? Yeah, I was or was that pretty shoot, shoot guns all the time. Like that. Shoot guns all the time. I don't want to go shoot a gun. I mean, maybe a weird time to go shoot a gun, I guess. Somebody would you know, think that I mean, we were bored and nothing else to do. Why would people say that there was no shooting done that night, the no previous idea. night? I no idea. I mean, at the time, I didn't know it was going to turn into all this. You don't know Dylan really at all? At all. Same with Christian. Never, never, never spoke to him. What about Hayes? Oh, that's my, I've been friends with Hayes since I was probably eight years old. Same with Jeff. So, uh, so those people that we just spoke of, really the only person that you really have rubbed shoulders with, with is, is Jet and Hayes. Hayes. And Has Hayes ever told you uh, anything about what happened to Christian? Mm-hmm. Well, what do you believe? I mean, I don't know, I don't know what to believe. I didn't know him, so that's hard for me to say. I've never spoken a word to him, never spoken a word to Dylan. And I barely knew Willie, so it's hard for me to, to know what happened if I wasn't there. You may not, but are you? do you know stuff that you're not telling no, from know. other people that are involved? I don't think at the bottom of it. Uh, Just for, her, for his mama's sake, anyway. Unfortunately, Zach would be of no help. Surprisingly, he was even less forthcoming about gun night than Jet and Matt have been. He went on to say that he never talked to or hung around Christian and said he only knew of him because Meridian is a small town. He also insisted that he didn't know Dylan and only kind of knew Whitley just from being at some of the same social events in the past. He also went on to say he didn't even know about Christian's death until about a week after it occurred. I want to take a minute and go back to the letter we opened this episode with, the one that Travis sent to Mark G while he was incarcerated. To summarize, Travis stated he wants justice for Christian and believes he can help get it. He also asked Mark G to help bail him out of jail. But by the time he received Travis's letter and responded that he'd like to come meet with him, Travis had already been bailed out by someone else. And that's all we have on that for now. When this opportunity fell through, this started a sort of drought of information, which lasted a few weeks. The PIs used this time to try and connect with law enforcement and public officials former DA Bilbo Mitchell, current DA Cassie Coleman, Chief Benny DuBose, Captain Jay Arrington, Detective Thompson, and Detective Wilburn. Hey, good afternoon. Now, this is Mark Gillespie. I'm trying to reach uh, Detective Thompson. The mailbox is full and cannot accept any messages at this time. Goodbye. Welcome to the Meridian Police Department. If this is an emergency, press 8. Now. Hello. Please leave a message after the tone. For detective division, press four. For patrol division. Captain, I can leave a message. Could I leave a message to have him recall me back? The dry spell continued until finally Mark G received a call back from Jay Arrington. And not only did he return his call, he was willing to set up a meeting in person at his office in Meridian. Arrington is someone our PIs were eager to meet with as he has been very vocal about this case in the past and seems to suspect foul play, both in Christian's death and in the overall handling of the case which followed. Sheila and Mark G 
made the trip to Meridian to meet with him. The meeting with Arrington, that is going to go down in history. So Jay Harrington spoke with Mark Gillespie and spoke very freely. He was very open and seemed very forthcoming and wanting to help. So we go in and I noticed that Jay Arrington is putting on this body cam and fooling with it. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So we walk into Jay Arrington's office, which is large, large enough to have a table, round table with some chairs. Sitting at that round table was Chief DeBose and his wife. His wife worked for Jay Arrington and they were having a chicken lunch. Jay Arrington seems like a nice guy. DeBose was pleasant, but reserved, wasn't really having anything to do with us, but wanted to sit and listen to our questions. The audio you're about to hear came from a body cam that Arrington was wearing during this meeting. It was leaked online weeks later. Okay, first off, the chief sitting right there. Were you here when that happened? No. Is it okay to discuss this and drop your case, Chief? I don't mean we have a meeting at 2.30. Okay. Well, you know, reviewing the case, to me it looked like it was, you know, there's there's a lot of questions about the ruling of suicide as opposed to um, either undetermined or homicide. Well, if you want to get to that part, then I'm sure you'd have to talk to James Lee, the chief here, because he was the one calling the decisions at that time. I wasn't at the scene. Was it, so it was called suicide Immediately? The chief at the scene told him, the, the people working the scene, that it was an obvious suicide to wrap it up and leave. Okay. Um, not knowing the, the, the protocol here and the, the, the leadership system, is that generally how it operates if the chief says? Nothing's how it operates when James Lee was here. Okay. He, that that's why he was here for about a year and he was gone. And how did you get involved in it? I was directed to work on that by the chief of police. A new chief? Mm-hmm. Do you know what the future of the case may hold? According to the district attorney, unless there is some, something new that develops, you know, that's it. The only way it can be presented to the grand jury again is if something new were to develop, then it could be brought before them again and she would consider it. But unless there's some new evidence comes up, it's done. I'm looking at a scenario where I'm, I'm looking at the evidence. I'm looking at there's a hole by the light fixture. I'm looking at uh, a hole by the light switch. Light, light by the light switch. Hit the stud, bounced off, landed back in the tub. In the tub, correct. So I'm with you on that. Um, did he? Did he? You know, fall over and land in that position? No. With his hands way back? No. So I'm thinking other people could have been involved. That, Surely. That. Uh, you know, there were two people in the apartment, uh, at least two. Whitley was there. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is, was was Dylan there? Or, you know, he says he had left to go, uh, I guess, to Best Buy. I just look at, at either, you know, someone may have gotten involved and, in, in, you know, fired the gun or tried to take it away from them, struggling over the weapon. I don't know if they're struggling. I feel like somebody reached to try to get it. They'd already did that earlier in the evening and got it back. Then they turn around and give him back a loaded gun, and he ended up shot in the head. Do was there a struggle? I don't know if it was a struggle or not. Was it in his hand? I have no doubt about that. Was the scene altered? I have no doubt about that. Uh, How do you think the scene was altered? I think once he was shot in the head, he was pulled over in the tub. And that's where he was originally shot. It was cleaned up, and that's how it was. Um, I think perhaps somebody took the wallet out of the pocket, and the same somebody's down at the credit union trying to use his bank card to get his money out of the bank. That's what I think. When I was a contact wound to his head, I know the way he's sitting on that uh, toilet, that the gun was a contact wound. Unless somebody shoots a pistol upside down, the only natural place that gun was in his hand pointing at his head. It's a given. He was sitting on the toilet, he had the gun to his head, and it went off. Did it just go off? I doubt it. I think 
They tried to get it from him earlier before, and it worked. They gave it back to him. They're going to get it back this time, and it, it went off. So is that a – I mean, I don't know what, what, the, what the law is here in term, or what the penal code says in regards to um, – I saw you know, manslaughter by culpable negligence is what I saw. Okay. But my, my, my I saw never got to the grand jury, so. Given the fact that you're a seasoned veteran investigator, um, I find it very hard to believe that that the grand jury would not indict in this particular case. Go back and pull the records. I never got to appear for a grand jury. And, and why was that? Because the district attorney, Bilbo Mitchell, decided otherwise. He sent it to the... Attorney General's office over here and let them prepare it and present it. Well, not again, not being here, not knowing the politics, but to me that sounds like he recused himself or or shifted he, the authority to another. Either that or he recused me one or the other. He, he didn't like the uh, conclusion I come up with, so he just for time to go to the grand jury, he uh, he lateral it off to the AG's office to an investigator over there. Is that is that common practice here? For 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 Bilbo to do that, or was that common practice? I mean, he'd done the same thing many times before. I can't say that why he chose to do it. I don't know. You have to talk to him. I wanted my time in front of the grand jury. I never got it. Have you read the case, Bo? Uh, I have not. There'll be some interesting reading for you if you get access to how, it. How can we get access? I, I can't allow that. That that would come from the either the district attorney or the man sitting over there. I, you know, the last I saw that case filed, the attorney general still has it. What about 911 calls? It's all in the case file. The attorney general's office has, has got it. Now, how you get it from the AG's office, I don't know. The district attorney, he's, he's gone now. He's not there anymore. There's a new one that replaced him. I uh, got appointed to finish out his term. Appointed as opposed to elected? Right. He left before his term was over, so she got appointed, and she'll be there until this election comes up here very shortly. So I'm going to ask your opinion on this. So I take it you probably were disappointed at the results of the, the grand jury? Well, um, I wish I'd have had my time in front of the grand jury. I did a lot of work on that case, not even get in front of a grand jury, but, you know, what, they all don't go like I want them to go. What about crime scene processing uh, evidence? Uh, the scene was done by the people that was there at that time. They put their information in the case file, and then the Androckios hired uh, Knox and Associates out of Florida to come do another crime scene processing. But I, did, I wasn't involved in that. I didn't get to. Okay. I've never even, I've never talked to those people. I'd like to see what they came up with that they think happened, and I'd like to compare it with what I think happened. If they contact wound, the guide rod here is turned up like that. Now, if it's like this, it could have been somebody back there. It could have been somebody like this. But if it's turned like this, that's the only way that gun can be like that. So he's sitting there holding it like this. Like they described him earlier, they talked him out of the gun earlier. Of course, Swearinger said he had to leave, so he gave him a loaded gun back. There's your manslaughter by culpable negligence. You knew his mental state. You knew what he was trying to do. You give him a loaded gun back. Couldn't you took the gun out the door? Couldn't you call the police, the ambulance, his family, somebody? But he handed it back to him by his own statement. He handed it back to him. You got, oh, I'm gonna shoot myself. I'm gonna shoot myself, and you get it away from him. But you handed it. To him. You don't even mind loaded. You just hand it back to him loaded. You think he changed his mind? There's your manslaughter by couple negatives. That's what I want to charge with. What about the uh, blood spatter? Any? Did it appear there was cleanup? Sure. Or sure. The thing about it is, is, it's not. It's not hard. If you shot in the temple, you die right there. Mm -hmm. You die there. He was shot in the side of the head. Okay. Okay. And the gun was turned up like this. Okay. So I think. And it's just like uh, Whitley. She was sitting in the apartment, and she was asleep. And, of course, when Swearinger come back, he goes upstairs and finds him and uh, comes back and wakes her up, and then that's when it all starts. How are you going to sleep to a forty-five gunshot in a little small apartment like that, but the guy walks in and just wakes you up? Yeah. It ain't possible.
What about video surveillance at the bank where Dylan tried to gain access to his account? Yeah, I just got them right there in front of the counter trying to... But video surveillance mm -hmm. as opposed to still photos or... Well, what I saw was a still image, but... From uh, a video? From a video. Okay. But he was standing right there trying to get his money. I think he was dead already. Do you think we'd have any luck at getting access to the 911 calls or any records of the uh, of the case? I don't know that. Uh, I don't have them. If I have them sitting right here, all I do is ask that man just sitting there. Could you have them? He said, yeah, you can. If he said, no, then you can't. So is it out of your hands, out of MPD's hands, so to speak? Well, as the last word I got, the DA there took the case, and they turned it over to that agency, and it is their case now. Okay. The MBI, they put that little uh, research team focus group. That was the most ridiculous garbage I've ever seen, because the MBI, they're going to investigate it, and they take their stuff, and they have some class somewhere, and they use it for a class project. Are you serious? And they come up with a bigger theory than the JFK magic bullet, that bullet run all over that bathroom, and out wall tub. That's how the gun flew. I mean, that's how the bullet flew. And they come up with this tub, wall here, there, with nothing to back it up. Not a mark on the tub, not a mark anywhere except where that bullet hit that wall right there. He died on that toilet. He was pulled over in that bathtub. That gun obviously wasn't in its place where that shot went off. Because when a gunshot goes off in your skull at 45, you are dead right there. You don't get up and move over and hang your head in the tub and stick the gun around in front of your thigh. That's not hard. Do you think at any time it could have been premeditated that they were out to do this? No, I think he was in another one of his spells where uh, his, his woman was going to cut him loose. And he'd done, done this number four. If you do this, I'll shoot myself in, in their own statement. And I think they gave the gun back to him. I think that started up again. They took the gun from him one time. When he tried it this time, they didn't have the same results. Then once that happened, it's over in the tub. You get his wallet. You go try to get his money. And you called in as a suicide. Okay. If he were in the bathtub. They blow a hole in the tub. It's exactly. a fiberglass tub. Right. Okay. Easily. Very easily. Bullet would have went in his head, come out here. It would have done expanded. It would have blew a crater in the bathtub. It wouldn't be a scratch. Going there. through the head didn't slow it up a whole lot. Not a bit. Yeah. Not enough to even be appreciable. Understand there was blood on the outside, the exterior side of the bathroom door. Well, you got EMTs in there. They're handling. They're dealing with it. It's a bloody scene. Bloody him. It's a tight spot. They get blood on them. Did you observe or notice or hear about any? Any cleanup or later tests of luminol? I heard that the Knox report did some kind of testing. And I know that they, in their testing, they said there was a cleanup over there. Now, I never got to talk to them. I'd still like to. But do I feel like there was cleanup over there? Yeah, I do. There's a gunshot wound to the head right there, sitting beside the sink. and. Sink on this side, tub on that side, and there's a gunshot wound to the head. Yeah, somebody's going to clean up. I saw that from the crime scene pictures. Well, you know, just trying to connect the dots and, and, and try to uh, put a logical theme to why this case wasn't pursued by the DA. I can't explain to you why a case is not pursued by the DA because I've had cases where uh, police shoot an unarmed guy in the back not pursued. I got a cop down there getting a uh, big TV from Best Buy forging a credit app and it wasn't pursued because he's a good foot baseball player in high school. I've got a cop that he's uh, uh, chasing this guy in an unmarked car not supposed to be. The police had already got him stopped uh, and he tries to drive around him and he unloads you know, he, he shoots several times on the side of his vehicle. I uh, didn't prosecute that. Why he doesn't prosecute things, I don't know. I mean, I'm not part of the political arena. I don't know. I don't understand his thinking. Do do I think he's let stuff go that should have been prosecuted? Sure. Everybody that works in this business always thinks a DA let something go that should have been prosecuted. But uh, this here, what his motives were, I don't know because... I worked the case, I was right up to the point of uh, 
I thought I was going to the grand jury with it, and right before time for me to go to the grand jury with it, he kicks it over to the the uh, attorney general's office. But I know the investigator for the attorney general's office asked would I mind coming over there with her. I was more familiar with the case she was, and kind of co-presented. Not a problem. I never was allowed to go there. I don't know. You weren't. Who didn't allow you to go there? They didn't have me on it. They wasn't involved in it. The the DA's office. They they didn't need me, and they didn't let me present my theory. I worked on it till I was ready for present it to the grand jury. And just before time for the grand jury, the DA made the decision on his own. Uh, matter of fact, I was standing down there talking to the municipal judge here in his office and the DA was talking to him on the phone, on speakerphone, and uh, he was discussing the fact that, you know, what I'd come up with and all that, and the DA told him that I'd just create the facts as I go. I took offense to it then, wow. took offense to it, to it now. create the facts as you go? I was just creative. In other words, he didn't like how I feel like this went, so I'm just creating the facts as I go. See, he didn't know I was standing listening to that. Hmm. I wanted to present it to the grand jury. That decision was made by a politician, a district attorney, to take it away from me and give it to Miss Ward. I'd like to know how many death cases she ever worked. Love to know that. How many cold cases she ever worked. This ain't like the Kennedy assassination. This ain't that hard of a case. Oh, well, Whitley slept through it. No, she didn't. Nobody slept through a 45 gunshot, but she went. She slept through the the gunshot wound in the apartment. Well, when he got back, wake up, Willie, did like that, run up there and find him. But she didn't hear the gunshot. That's a lie right there. You know, when he was down there trying to get that money out of that bank, I believe he was already dead then. They just want to get, you know, he's on his he's on his way to the other side. We'll get his cash. But see, they waited till the statute of limitations had run out on tampering with the scene, tampering with evidence. Could charge them that three years, then expired. Time I got it, the statute done run on that. Whether you can still get any time for or not, they could prove that they tampered with the scene. That's that's a no-brainer there. Yeah. What about inconsistent statements of of the witnesses? I've heard what little bit they've said, and uh, I know by the fact that she was asleep and he woke me up, you know, to tell me he found him. I knew right there that's that's a lie. As she was in bed asleep, and when Swearinger got back, you know, because he left you know, after he took the gun from him, gave it back to him, then he left and made this this loop around, and he comes back and he goes up and finds her. He just shakes her and wakes her up and lets her know he didn't blew his brains out, but he slept right through it, and all that's a lie. It's a lie. They know what happened to him. They was there. She sure did was. She never left. She was there the whole time. You know she knows what happened. Now whether or not she tried to get that gun or Swearinger was going to try to get that gun again, it went off. One of them did, and it went off. Now, so you think he was suicidal? I don't know if he was suicidal or if he was running the bluff trying to get her to stay with him. Uh, he might have been running the bluff, but when you go to grab that gun, he tightened up. Do I think he intended to shoot himself? No. Do you think it could have been where that he really didn't do that in the living room, but they're saying he did it in the living room, but it all happened upstairs? Well, I don't... They're I, making up the story that... I don't know that, but even whether he did it or didn't do it, him saying he did it and saying you got the gun away from him, you saying, well, I had to leave, but I couldn't take it with me. You can take his bank card with all the money he's got in the world, but you can't take his pistol with yeah, he wouldn't hurt himself with a bank card, but by your own statement, you know, by your own statement, you're saying he'd done it before. Well, he did it in the bathroom, so it could be true. But, you know, you get it away from him, you don't even unload it, but you're going to hand it back to him, though he's in that, in that mental state. At the end of our meeting, we thanked him, Arrington, for his time and started to leave. On our way out, interestingly enough, we ran into the DA, Cassie Coleman, Tony Green from the AG's office, and Gypsy Ward, the lead detective on Christian Andriacchio's case, who were on their way to meet with Arrington and Chief DeBose. I'm Mark Gillespie. I'm uh, 
Private investigator. Hi, Mark. Kathy Coleman. Hey, Chief. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Chief Tony Green. Mark Gillespie. Good to see you. Hey, Chief. Kathy Coleman. It's nice to meet you. Visiting on the Andre Accio case. Are you guys? Are you headed to a meeting now? Yes, sir. I am. Okay. At the time, we had no idea what was discussed in this meeting. But along with the leak of the audio from the first meeting between Arrington, Sheila, and Mark G, came the leak of this audio. A transcript of this audio, including the names of the people you'll hear in this meeting, can be found on our website at culpablepodcast.com. Go to the top right corner and click on listen, and then go to episode 13, Behind Closed Doors. The folks that just left, were you meeting with them or y'all both meeting he with did, them? He did, I did not. Who were they? They came in here, uh, chief was sitting in the office. I asked him was it okay to talk to them. I'm assuming that is another batch of private investigators. Texas? In Texas, yeah. Okay. okay. And her name was Sheila? Sheila. Is that what she said? Mm-hmm. Sheila. But I've heard all this before. And they was wanting to look at the case file, and I told them we don't have that case anymore, that the AG's office has the case. They want to see the physical file. I told them I couldn't show it to them anyway without the chief's approval. I'm sure they'd be contacting y'all because they want to talk to whoever's got the case file, and I just told them what the case file was. Well, the question I have, what, what DNA are they looking for on the gun? Because it's a gun that belonged to uh, Andracchio. He left it at the apartment for Whitley, and early in the evening, he's been holding it to his head, and Swearinger took it away from him, so there's... And I, I, my understanding is I think that that is why the attorney at the AG's office said, we're not, you know, not going to pay for it, and it's really no good if you pay for it. Like, if you send it to a lab, you're still paying for the results. My understanding, and I haven't spoken directly to the AG that's handled it, and they're sitting here making answer, but their point was kind of, even if it comes back, but it's... Um, Whitley, or if, it's if I pass my gun all the way around the room and we send it off for DNA, and y'all's DNA comes back on it, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Yeah. I got an answer for that. The reason that we did not do that is because we contacted the crime lab, and they put it in writing that if they test this sample, it will be completely destroyed forever. There's no getting it back because it's so small. And our thinking was, okay, let's not do that just in case something comes out later. I think you said at some point they even mentioned um, that they thought maybe somebody else was involved, that it wasn't even these two anymore. Um, but I had never just point blank asked the question, you know, what did they bring you? What evidence did they bring? And and I do feel like, Chief, that they're, they're calling whatever it is new evidence because when I first spoke with Todd, I said, you know, it's been presented to a grand jury the standard practice across the state and the country is, you know, either new evidence or some evidence that we had but we didn't present it. That's the standard for representing it to the grand jury. But I also understand, and y'all understand, it was not handled properly in the beginning. And if I were them, that we all agree. On. Right, I'd be suspect. I'd be suspicious. I don't. I don't blame them for feeling like the system has failed them. I just think that at some point you have to trust that other people have looked into it. And all that prompts to say, after you and I talked, Jay showed up and said that he did feel like that there was sufficient evidence um, on, on a theory to, to bring it forward. And I just want us all to be on the same page. I don't have any new evidence. I didn't get to present anything on what I had to start with. Bilbo made a decision to send it to the AG's office, which that's Bilbo's decision. I never got to present the case what I thought happened. The family requested that Bilbo recuse himself. And And I think at that point, he doesn't really have an option if he pushes forward, knowing that he believes that the evidence... The family family asked for him to recuse himself or recuse me? Him. They they asked that he recuse himself. Jay presented, if I'm not mistaken, uh, manslaughter, culpable negligence. And they said, no, they won't murder when the warrants were issued for the mm-hmm. culpable negligence manslaughter, mm-hmm. how did they become withdrawn? There's a murder warrant that was originally issued because with Bilbo, you got to shoot high and let him roll it back to manslaughter. Uh, if you shoot with manslaughter, Bilbo roll it down to whatever. Okay, it's, so I, 
That's what I'm saying. That's, so you've actually issued and had warrants signed both for murder and culpable negligence? I had originally, I, I was going to do murder and let him roll it back to manslaughter. And after talking with him, I had it recalled on murder and then left the one for manslaughter by culpable negligence. Did Robbie Jones or any judge sign a warrant for murder? He did, but he recalled it before I issued it or did anything with it. Okay, so how did it come about that he was recalling? Didn't have enough of that 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 other charge uh, fit fit it. That's what fitted manslaughter by couple of negatives. The manslaughter won't still in the file, isn't it? But do, is it actively right now? You could go arrest somebody on it. If I entered it into the computer, it's signed. I could arrest somebody on it. So but, if the question is asked to you, why didn't you enter it into the computer? What is the answer? For that? Because it was going to the grand jury without arrest. I had the warrant in there to, to show the charge that. And it was close enough to grand jury time. I believe what was decided at that time, talking to DA's office, just present it without arrest. My question is, so we have some stuff here, correct? We got our case file, the city's, or has it been turned over to AG? Right. So that's what I'm saying. The only thing that you would have is something you printed from your system. What are we trying to do here? I mean, what I'm trying to do, I guess, is gain an understanding of what has happened and then where we're at. I mean. It, it, and again, just from y'all's meeting with them back in November, both of you were saying they brought nothing with them. Unless it was something they did verbally and they considered it evidence, but we didn't. I thought it was a pretty good case of mass slaughter by culpable negligence. But at the same time, I'm over to the judge's office. Robbie's got Bill on speakerphone and he tells uh, Robbie, I'm just making the facts up of the case as I go. That's when I was done with Bilbo, and next thing I know, then it goes to the AG's office. You're being confrontational. Yeah, well, I'm just saying. I mean, I'm when, just trying to when, figure out. Like, you hate Bilbo. I get it. But I, I don't know why I hate Bilbo. I mean, when I you got when, when you got cases where you want to indict because somebody's a good baseball player in high school, I, I, I don't okay, know. I can't be held responsible. I, I got you, but I'm just saying that's what that's what was said. But chief, like when they contacted you back in November. What did you, I mean, what, what were your thoughts on why they were wanting to meet? I mean, do you feel Same old, same old, wanting to bring somebody in to tell us about this, how they can solve the case, present the case, what we missed. They always had an expert with them or an expert report. Okay. And they was talking about, I think, uh, I forgot the term, where the blood settled in his legs or something. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, You know, talking about that and... Was that that Knox monster had all that? Group out of Florida? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What they said to me is, are you going to reopen it? And I'm like, we don't investigate. But I'm not going to throw you under the bus and say, go talk to the police department and get them to, to do it. I've just said, if anybody were to bring new evidence, we I don't think y'all would turn it away. We wouldn't turn it away. We made it clear that that was what they needed in order to get it presented or something new. Mm -hmm. And I guess... I felt like your request last week was for an opportunity to present the case again. Yeah, I'd like to work on that case some more and uh, go at it again, but uh, that's just me. I think it's sad that we're all playing fiddle to the tune of them Dreckies. Mm -hmm. This is, I've never, not a 33 years, seen a group of people have all of us dancing to their tune to the media. Um, that's not what we're all about. And they've played this out to the media. They've played us all against each other. All this back and forth. Uh, I don't know Bilbo. Now he's working for us. I don't know him. I don't see him. we got 300-something people there. It's been a circus. I'm so sorry about their son. Whatever happened, I wasn't there. I've sent investigators top-notch some of the best we've got and spent months and hours and hours looking through this case, experts to review it. Uh, but I am a firm believer in this. Um, just because one group looked at it and found um, that it was deemed suicide, another group found and believed it was suicide, we presented all facts that we had based on evidence statements, crime lab results, and that's what we presented. There was no personal, we don't know any of them. We presented what we had.
and a grand jury made their decision based on what we have. We don't need the assistance of private eyes, but right. we would love to have whatever information they have. Right. So I'm just saying this. We're not dumping it because we've done work. We've spent two years working this thing. So this is not a dump. We're, right. we're through. We've done our due diligence, worked this case from one end to the other. There's nothing else we can do with this case. Our office is willing to turn the case over to y'all's office. Let a new set of eyes take it. Y'all want to work with this? Um, see whatever these folks have got, so be it. Um, we're not going to answer to the Andrekis. We're not going to answer to this podcast, this media. We don't, we don't, we, we've never answered to it. We're not going to start now. This is between us, you know. We put every single report, J's, Bratus, MPDs, every single private investigators, we've done this in a PowerPoint. And they were able to go through every single case, what the PIs found, what the MPD found. We put all the text messages up there. And they was able to review all the text messages that was on own. All faults. There was nothing that we did not have in that box. We did not put a PowerPoint presentation, even stuff that we found um, and was able to show them. We put Knox, we put Ardens, we put Max Hayes. There's not one that we did not put in a PowerPoint. There was not one piece of thing that grand jury did not have an opportunity to see. We were very, very transparent. Gypsy, do you feel like they considered, and Jay, I don't want to misquote you, but our conversation last Thursday was the culpable negligence manslaughter, that your thoughts were because of them giving the gun back, allowing him to have the gun back, that that, that negligent act which led to his right. death. Not that you didn't, you believe that he had the gun to his head, that he shot himself, but had they not given the gun back, Gypsy, that theory, do you feel like that was explored by the grand jury as far as like what culpability, if any, Dylan especially had for? We explained that to them and how, how that works. Okay. And that's when they said, well, that doesn't seem fair if this person says I'm going to kill myself and then three days later they do it, that means I go to jail. And okay. they didn't like that. They've seen everything in the grand jury. So unless something come up today that's different than we showed them, I don't know what else you could do. And to either of your knowledge, nothing additional has been brought or received here since I No. I mean, we even presented to the grand jury that their biggest question was blood spatter. Why is there not tons of blood spatter in, in, in the bathroom? And I don't know if y'all seen this video. We showed them a video of a gentleman committing suicide in an interrogation room with the exact same type weapon, and there is no blood spatter. We showed a suicide video to the grand jury to try to explain the blood spatter and lack of. And this gentleman sits in a chair in an interrogation room, pulls out the same gun, puts it to his head, there's none, it's just, it's just drippage. It's not like a blowout like everybody thinks. So after they saw that in the grand jury, it made more sense to him. And um, the way his body curled up, his fingers still on the trigger, kind of like the autopsy picture. That's something y'all can think about. And hey, if you find something with a new set of eyes, or they provide something, and, and y'all go in and indict him, Best of luck. We'll have a party with you. If any of these people were to make a request, like a FOIA request, y'all would provide it, period. I mean, I mean, obviously they got to pay for the copies. I get all that. But my question is, like, there would be none of this. We're not going to turn over and be Unless a closed it investigation. Unless it's an active investigation well, still. Correct. We're not going to give them anything. If, if well, they closed, if they want to take it and re-look in it, no, no, no. No, I'm saying like if a, if a person made a freedom of information request, you know, I mean, if it's open, we obviously don't turn them over. But since it's closed. I'll let that stay in that because I okay. would hope we send the whole file over here and we don't have it to give out. <laughs> yes, but yes, we've already had to do that once. Okay. They, the Andrachio's done that and we gave them everything. That's why you'll, okay. you'll, you'll see numbers, like how many pages it was on the outside. Chief, what are your thoughts? I feel sorry for him. I really did. There's no doubt that it was botched from the beginning. Like you said, we all agree on that. But they're going to keep on scratching and scratching. And they're not going to get what they want in the end. Not unless they get Dylan and Whitley to step forward and say, yeah, we should. 
And I don't want to speak on your behalf without talking to you, but I feel like that that is the answer right now, is that the standard across the country is, was presented to a grand jury, it was no tree build. Um, and regardless of whether that had been Bilbo that presented it or the AG's office that presented it, unless there is either new information, newly discovered, or there's some reason to believe that it wasn't all presented, which I, I don't have any hesitations that they presented something different than what they said, then it, it, it's not correct for us to represent it. I don't have the resources to reopen it. Y'all have certainly expended multiple resources, but I don't want to say that. And then your department say, well, if she'd have asked, we'd have looked into it again. I mean. And I don't feel like if new evidence come forward that our officers should have done it. I guess I don't feel like that. I did interview Wilburn D. Thompson about what, who made the gun safe. And I think you talked to the coroner and maybe ambulance, but it did just one of them say they did? Hmm? Did either one of them? No. They couldn't remember clearing the gun. I don't know what else we can get out of the confession. I mean, you know, looking at the case, when she first called me and I got the case, I read the case and looked at it, man, this is screwed up big time. A lot of contradictions and stuff in there. You know, quickly saying that she was hugging him or somebody saying that Whitby was hugging him and I think it was worth saying and saying, leave him alone, leave him alone. She didn't have a drop of blood on her. That didn't make a lot of sense. Slept through the gunshot? Yeah, slept through the gunshot in an apartment. But he comes in and just wakes her up. It's hard to undo a bill that's right. Yeah. That's the problem. And I don't think anybody whatsoever has any doubts that they moved the body. I mean, there's no doubt about that. It's just whether or not there was more to it than that. Um, We've done all we can do. Like I said, unless something else comes new, I mean, we presented everything we had. Weeks after this meeting, in July of 2019, the AG's office released Christian's case file. After over a year of requests from the Andriacchios, they'd finally get to see the file. Of course, the release of the file wouldn't go as one should expect, because following the news of this, well before the Andriacchios ever received their copy of the file, it was made apparent that the file, or at least parts of it, had been shared with a third party. And the Andriacchios were left in turmoil, awaiting their copy from the AG's office as a third party began leaking documents from it online. Now that people have all his personal text messages and his autopsy photos, the most inappropriate decision I have ever heard of, and every producer I've talked to about this, every person in the news that's heard about this, is appalled that an AG, Jim Hood, and that Cassie Coleman, a district attorney who is running for office, gave that file out and pushed for that file to go out. How inappropriate. I know a lot of the political powers hope that once the podcast is over, that it's going to go away. However, the problem is there's that wild card of the entire world looking at it. All of those people that are looking at this now are the people that are going to keep this story going. The story's not going to go away. Copable is a production of Black Mountain Media and Tenderfoot TV in conjunction with Cadence 13. Executive producers are Dennis Cooper, Jacob Bozarth, Donald Albright, Payne Lindsay, and me, Mark Minery. Additional production by Whitney Bozarth, Courtney Cooper, Meredith Stedman, and Mason Lindsay. Audio editing, mixing, mastering, and sound design by Resonate Recordings. If you have a podcast or are considering starting a podcast of your own, I urge you to check them out at ResonateRecordings.com. Theme music and score by Dirt Poor Robbins. Additional music by Makeup and Vanity Set. Cover art by Drew Bardana. I want to extend a special thanks to Mike Hines, Sheila Wysocki, and Lance Black. You can follow us on social media at Copable Podcast. Show notes, as well as bonus content, can be found on our website, culpablepodcast.com. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please take time to subscribe, rate, and review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. And lastly, if you have any information related to the death of Christian Andriacchio, please email us at tips at blackmountainmedia.net or call us at 470-300-4915. Thank you for listening and tune in for new episodes every Monday.